I'm here in virtual reality in Phil McEtron's app Curie. Um, we are meeting here today, he's hosting me. So if you're watching the video, enjoy it. If not, I'll try to explain what's going on. Hi, Phil. Um, thanks for being here. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So uh, I'm a physicist by education. So I studied that in school. My really didn't have much of an interest there beyond just enjoying solving those types of problems and really liked learning about how the world works. Um, I, uh, in college, I started, uh, there was a NASA club that you got to ride on an airplane that went in zero gravity. And I really just wanted to go on that airplane. I didn't really care much about engineering. But in order to go on the airplane, you had to build an experiment with NASA in order to do it. So that kind of forced me to get into some mechanical engineering and I ended up finding out that I actually really love doing that. Um, so I kind of ended up taking a couple year hiatus from physics and uh, working in the aerospace industry. So after college, I moved out to LA and I worked at uh, SpaceX for two years on the Dragon program, on the Dragon 2 spacecraft. So uh, with that, I was, I was working on a kind of crazy device that goes inside the propellant tanks that controls where the liquid goes in order to um, make sure that the capsule can maintain control while it's on orbit. Um, and then, yeah, about two years ago now, I decided to leave SpaceX and get back to my original passion of science. And uh, the, the real spark that got me to do that was that I uh, tried sixed off VR for the first time on the Vrif, on the, sorry, on the HTC Vive. And I sort of just, just from doing a couple of the demos with the hands-on interactions there, I realized that there was like tons of potential in VR to change the way that we do science education and to do that on, in a scalable way. So that's what really pushed me to leave aerospace and start working in the VR ed tech space. Pretty cool story, um, especially the, the NASA plane thing. That sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah. How was yeah. it? Huh? It was pretty awesome. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Yeah, the um basically like the world's most intense roller coaster where you go up like ten thousands of feet and then like basically fly in a parabola and then it when it's accelerating downwards it accelerates down at the same speed of gravity. So you get to float around there like you're in zero G. I uh was fortunately able to I haven't been able to experience that again for several years, but in this app you can actually recreate that a little bit. You can uh create a couple objects here. So like when it's floating in the cabin we like our experiment, which was tied down, but we were also able to bring some toys with us. So I had like a bean bag that I was throwing around. And uh, if we go in here and turn down the gravity level, now we're in microgravity. Then I float around. I can see all these objects in here will float around like we're in zero G. So last time I was able to play with things in microgravity was on that airplane. But now that VR is a thing, I can unfortunately do that again from the comfort of my home. <laughs> And much cheaper and safer. Yep, exactly. Yep, a lot safer, a lot cheaper. And students can do it themselves without having to be a part of this hard NASA program. Phil, we are now meeting virtually in your um, app, Curie, in VR. And I look around, looks pretty cool. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing and what your goals are with it? Sure. Yeah, so this really started um, mostly just as like a passion project. I didn't have a business in mind, um, and I didn't even have an exact like use case in mind for who the, who the users would be. I sort of just wanted something that for down the road, I don't have any children now, but for down the road when I do have kids, a way that I can teach them physics in a way that they would really enjoy and that they would understand more quickly than learning it just through textbooks and drawing on paper. So basically just started 
tinkering around in my garage a couple years ago with building simple physics simulations in VR. Um, again, I'm really without any idea of how to make a business out of it. So it was really started as a passion project. Um, and uh, yeah, the, I mean, the power of social VR became pretty apparent. I think I tried, might have been Rec Room or Alt Space a couple years ago. And being able to see somebody else, like, like I'm seeing you now with six soft on head and hands, is a pretty compelling experience. So that pushed me early on to start doing um, multi-user simulations. Um, but for a while, I was kind of in the learning phase. I, I was, hadn't done a lot of software development before VR. So um, a fair amount of the early stages of things was just kind of making some physics prototypes, figuring out how to network them, and learning all the software to do that. Um, and then basically over time, I sort of tried to... I sort of did the opposite of what they recommend you do with startups. A lot of the times with startups, you find a problem and then you go solve it. And I did the thing that you're not supposed to do, which is you like build something cool and then try to find a use for it. Because <laughs> that was really just a passion project where I was exploring making science stuff in VR. And then now I'm basically trying to explore different ways that it can actually um, become a product in order to scale it up and, and help people with it. And uh, the first way that I started doing that was with one-on-one -on -one tutoring. Um, that was something that was accessible to me as someone who's studied the material before. I could tutor other people in it, um, people who are taking high school physics, for example. And so uh, uh, first I was using the app just for a little bit of one-on-one -on -one tutoring. So I'd go to students' houses with my laptops and headsets, um, do an in-person tutoring lesson, and then at the end we'd play around in the app a little bit to get them to interact with some of the simulations. So that was kind of the first way that I started turning this into not just a passion project, more of an actual product. Oh, amazing story. Amazing. So um, can you show us a little bit for those who are on the video how your app works here in VR? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, the, the form that the app is taken now is more of a sandbox to give you more like flexibility and creating different simulations. So let's see. I can create a table here. Position that. And then we can open up a rail on it so I can attach an anchor part in the rail. This is a lot, a lot of... The thing over there looks like something out of Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, it does a little bit. A little ball, a little orb. <laughs> so then, uh, yeah, a lot of, a lot of um, one common simulation type that a lot of classes would use is uh, one with um, like a spring on a rail. And then you can demonstrate various concepts of like energy conservation or um, Hooke's Law and things like that. So I can set this up here. And then right now we're in build mode, so you can sort of position different objects to create your simulations. And then when you run simulate, it'll allow you to actually apply physics to objects. So I can move this and it will respond by moving back and forth. It's going really quick right now because we have a high spring constant. I can turn that down here. So now it has a lower spring constant. And it will move back and forth slower. Can I try it out? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, you just reach out and grab the block. Cool, so I take it here. Oh, it's attached. Yeah, yeah, there's just kind of a force that's being applied to the rail. Cool, cool. You can actually, uh, it's like I'm going to build mode. I'll attach this over here. That responds a little better. Then you can visualize various um, parameters on the block. So if the teacher is instructing on, uh, on Hooke's Law, then they can demonstrate the spring force that's being applied. So now when you move it, oop, I'm in build mode. Now when I go to simulate mode and you move it, it'll show you the force from the spring that's been applied. And so you can grab that yourself and stretch it. And if you stretch it down over there, it should uh, you know, show you a large force the further away you hold it. And then if you hold it at the equilibrium, it should show you like almost you know, uh, zero force. 
That's pretty nice. <laughs> so, yeah. Versus linear to the displacement of the object. Yeah, it is. Yep. Yeah. With the. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. So there's, there's obviously like a drawing tool in here as well. So if you if, it, if you're explaining to somebody what the equation is for that, you're seeing how it's linear. So you could explain that um the spring force or Fs is equal to the um, displacement. It's actually a minus sign. And then displacement, which we'll call x, um, at times k. It's usually written kx, but same thing. Uh, so, and you can visualize the displacement as well by reset this here. Yeah, displacement is what you'd imagine it would be. Pretty straightforward. So now you can see both the spring force and the displacement which go in opposite directions. So, yeah, the kind of initial mode that this app, like we used in, um, is, or I'm just starting to use it in now, is for the teacher to demonstrate things. So that's kind of more of a standard lecture format where the students are observing and the teacher is explaining things and using the simulation here to show them the different uh, concepts that they're discussing. But then uh, a, a big desire with the app as well is to make that students can interact with it themselves. So um, once the teacher has explained a bit of a problem and set it up, they could then give the students a task. Like with this one here, you could um, hide the spring constant from the students and tell them that you want them to figure out what the spring constant is now that they've now that the teachers explained the equation. And so you can copy the simulation to the students. So the first thing that the teacher would do is to make the graph object appear. There's a graphing component here. Let me hide this as well. So you open up the graph, and then you can copy a version of the simulation to each of the students. So I'll do that now. Go to drawing. So right now the classroom is set up just for two students. Since the homeschool classroom doing right now just has two students in it. So now each of the students gets a version of the simulation as well as the um, like graph component over here. So if they're tasked with graphing the force uh, or figuring out what the spring constant is using the force of the spring, they can open up the menu for the graph here. Open up the menu for the spring. And then also open up the menu here for the cube. So here I can, uh, I'll let you do this one. So the, uh, so the way that you can add points to the graph is if you grab one of these nodes here. So you see that blue dot that says D? If you reach out and grab that with your trigger, you should be able to place that on the x-axis up there, the top white sphere. Yeah, so now that you've placed that there, it appears in the graph over there. So it says displacement on the x-axis. And then if you grab uh, the spring force here, let's turn that on as well. You can grab FS. We'll put that on the y-axis. So, you know, in a, in a real class, have the students figure that themselves. But now it's associated those two properties with the graph, in which now allows the students, when they run the simulation, they can do from here. Uh, the simulation's running. I can move this to a different position. So I can move it over to here. And then if you press log data point there, you can go ahead and press that button. You should put a point on the graph. So I can hold it somewhere else. You should be able to log. Whoop. So we got a little bug here. <laughs> so it's logging the points, but uh, but it's showing the spring force as being a constant. <laughs> so I just changed some of the software on this recently. That's good to know. But if that weren't bugging out, what, what it would what it would do is show the um, both the displacement as it did, but then it would also 
show the spring force. So it would make like a scatter plot here just of the of the points that you got from that data. And that would allow the student to then, you know, draw a line through it and figure out the slope of the line. And once they've done that, they could then uh, solve for the spring constant. So which is equal to the slope. That's what it gives you an idea for how like you can flip the classroom around a little bit to have the students interact with simulations. And then basically just kind of switch back and forth between students doing simulations and then you can as a teacher you can clear the student simulation again back so it's just in presentation mode with the teacher's simulation and then the teacher could move on to the next concept and present that and then switch to the student mode again so you can have time to interact so that, yeah i think that kind of gives a feel for the lecture flow a little bit wow um it's pretty impressive i have to say and i can definitely see how you know this is useful in a in a classroom or in a, in a teaching setting where students are just much more engaged with the, with the content of what is being taught. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So um, let me shortly summarize what we've just done um, just for the, for the people who aren't watching the video but are listening to the audio only. Um, basically, Phil um, showed me some of the tools has been working on. Um, he was showing me a uh, example on how to teach about um, or how to teach about Hooke's law or spring constants. And the cool thing is that he could just um, build like a workbench uh, with an object on it and a spring attached to, uh, to to it and fixed onto the onto the table by a rail. And then he could just um, replicate replicate that to the students who are also in the same room and um, they could also play around with it at the same time um, for example the teacher could say hey you know check this out and the students can try to replicate it or can try to find out a value um, as a task and also they could just uh, graph stuff and stuff and, and so on so that's pretty cool so phil let's see what's your goal with all this i mean it's it's it's, it's pretty cool tech but um how do you plan on kind of bringing this to the market and what are your goals yeah yeah so um so i'm teaching the class currently to homeschool students um stu students who are already in a physical school um some of them don't have access to physics teachers but either way their their lifestyles at the moment is set up so that it's they don't typically take classes after they finish school pretty much all their academics happen in, in a physical school um since most students are there i would certainly like to reach those students longer term but as uh some finding some people who initially are in the most need of physics education and who would make um like excellent users to start working with the app the homeschool market is really a great place to to go initially um, because these students are often eager learners, they they don't have other options a lot of the time, particularly for objects like physics that can be hard to teach and not as many parents are familiar with. So um, so by working with homeless students, I've eventually have a profile on this website, um, working with OutSchool, which is the uh, marketplace for homeschooling, and uh, or just for direct-to-consumer education in general. And uh, the class that I have listed at the moment, the, the longer form class is a four-week class where you get like an introduction to mechanics and physics. So um, the first week we're covering kinematics, second week forces, third week energy, and the fourth week we do some collisions and recap of the whole class. And so uh, the, the two students who are taking that class at the moment are both actually, they don't have VR headsets themselves, so they're both joining via the desktop version. So they both have laptops that, you know, they play Minecraft on and stuff like that, so it's capable of running this app. Um, so they run it from in their web browser with a WebGL file. 
and then I'm actually teaching it from within one of the uh, within the Oculus Rift headset. Um, so I'm communicate. So I basically have full body presence like this, so they can see me, and I can write on the board easily and point out things. And then they can still get to participate and interact with the simulations. Um, they have more limited controls since they, being a desktop, it's a little harder to manipulate some of the simulations. But um, so far, I found it actually works pretty well for the teacher to sort of guide the students by setting them up with things and then letting them still do some level of interaction um, to still, uh, like, yeah, provide inputs and demonstrate that they're understanding what you're teaching. So, yeah, we just did first week last week, and it went really well. And then I have my next class today, which I'm excited for. That sounds really, really nice. I think it's a good idea with the desktop app since, you know, um, that not a lot of people have the VR headset or a VR headset available to them. So you're definitely kind of like enlarging your potential students um, with providing desktop app. And um, I think since you as a teacher still can be in VR and um, explaining VR, you know, they still get the benefits of the, at least some of the benefits of, of being a VR app. So that makes a lot of sense to me. So, um, what are the next steps like in the long term? Let's let's say mid and long term. Where do you see, yeah, your app going? What are your goals goals with it? Can you talk a little bit more to to that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, I think the best case scenario is that um, like the out school model works well in that uh, teachers have a lot of independence with that. So the teachers aren't employees of of out school in that in that case. They're they're um they. They're basically interacting on a marketplace, so the teachers get to create their own classes and really have a lot of autonomy in that, which results in there being a big diversity of the type of classes that are taught. Um, so, uh, so I think that model is very appealing. So, so having this be a platform where the classes can take place, um, and then having teachers construct their own classes that they that they execute in here um, would would be a pretty ideal system. So essentially, being a, a yeah, marketplace for uh, 3D interactive live classes. And uh, and teachers could, I think, some degree of partnering with teachers a little bit, where you can create some custom content for them, but with the kind of end goal of just having there be enough flexibility in the app that teachers can come in here and make their own class out of it. Um, so yeah, I think for long term, that's that's basically where you'd be at, where it's sort of like the Zoom of education, but uh, instead of being video call, it's it's 3D, like a game-like environment. And what about in the in the immediate shorter term? What are you gonna do? I was gonna say in the in the in the shorter term horizon, I think the the timeline is is at building out a full physics course. Just from talking to a few parents on out school, that they've been they've been enjoying the classes. They they said their students really like the class, um, but they're looking for a way that their student can get like a full physics education. So uh, right now, I basically have like kind of the first third of a physics class, um, but to expand that into being like a full um, introductory physics course, where you learn um uh, like rotational motion and Orbital, orbital mechanics and uh, electrodynamics and all that kind of stuff. Um, I think that would be the kind of near-term goal. And then uh, basically from there, start adding in other subjects. Uh, once physics is fully built out and there's full physics courses, add a math course as well where you can interact with geometry and you know, do basic things like addition and subtraction and stuff like that as well. So that uh, yeah, it can be kind of more generalized from there. <laughs> How would you te teach math in VR then? Yeah, I, so I haven't planned out too much of the math yet. Um, a lot of it would be whiteboard based. So, I mean, you can do that on a desktop now where the student can, you know, you can pose them a question and they can solve it by writing, you know, one plus one equals two on their board. Um, but having them do that in here with some degree of visual aid as well, you know, if you put three objects on the table and you say, if I take away two of them, how many will you have left? Um, it's, it's 
still just asking them what 3 minus 1 is. Um, but for a student who's very new to math, be able to see that in a visual way, we could really easily pose new problems to them. So you can just, you know, have kind of some simulations prepared ahead of time and then just present it to the students. I think it'll, it'll just help lend some importance to math because it's not just a 3 minus 1 by itself. It's within the context of a problem. Like you have three apples and you sell two of them. How many do you have left? And that's a word problem, which students then have to picture. But if you can see it as a 3D problem where you're like, you're at an apple stand, you have three apples, and then someone's going to buy two, it's more clear to the student how that would matter and lend some importance to the math. So, yeah, I don't think the style of pedagogy would change a ton from making it 3D, but uh, it, would, it would lend some importance to the student and help them understand, like help, help them be motivated about it. <laughs> that's cool. I'm just thinking about, you know, like doing word problems in VR be a cool thing in general like um, let's say you know you usually have those problems where you say okay train a st starting at this station train b is starting at this station um you know a goes at the speed b goes at this speed one will they kind of like meet um so you can like simulate this in, in vr it would be pretty cool just make sure don't give to not give a stopwatch to the students <laughs> so earlier you said that um, you're doing, you know, Zoom for Education in 3D. And so my question is, why isn't there a Zoom for Education in 2D now? So what's different in, in 3D in this case? Yeah, so I think the the, the thing that's most similar to is a multi-user video game. Um, and uh, obviously games like Minecraft are very popular these days, and the purpose of those are entertainment and socialization. Um, and you actually are starting to see some classes being taught in there. The, the, there's, there's a fair amount of demand for it since um, most of, uh, some of these classes are listed on OutSchool, but there's also companies separate from OutSchool that offer classes taught in Minecraft frequently to homeschool students. Um, and I think the reason why that's growing is that it's, it's very engaging for the students, obviously, if they're, they like interacting in 3D game-like environments. Um, but the limitations of it is that it's hard to do a serious educational experience in a, in a game like that where you're interacting with it over a keyboard and a mouse. Um, because, I mean, for starters, Minecraft isn't made for education. You know, if you added in slide decks and a mathematics system, then, you know, students could, a teacher could more easily teach math in Minecraft or something. Um, but custom making an, an application for it, it allows you to like achieve a lot higher rates of education. So like trying to teach math in Minecraft versus in here where you have a whiteboard that you can usually draw on is, is obviously going to be a different experience. I think the main reason why it hasn't existed so far is that the market for direct-to-consumer education has been pretty small. Um, there have been homeschooling families for a while, but only now is that industry growing. And there hasn't been like a good way to reach those families until very recently with um, like innovations like the um, like OutSchool starting up. So I, th I think it's mostly just a combination that people could create these technologies, a game-like environment where you hold live classes, didn't think there was a business opportunity for it. Um, but I now think that there is um, and that uh, people are holding businesses teaching in Minecraft. It's just somewhat of a soft skill, not so much like a core education. Um, whereas with an application custom built for anything, biology, chemistry, math, physics, you can actually achieve like um, core academic uh, lessons. So I, th I think that that's, that's really the source of it is the market just became ready for it now with enough people at home with laptops open to direct consumer education and uh, 
the technology just getting there too with them. Uh, like if you know as easy it is as it is to create 3D content. I, I didn't mention VR there because I almost feel like VR is somewhat of an optional part of it. I could be teaching the class I'm teaching from on the desktop. Um, it certainly is more than for students to see a teacher teaching from in VR. So I, I do think that um, while it might not have been necessary, having the ability for the teacher to lecture from in VR and eventually, of course, having the students in here too, that, that's a big jump as well in making it a more compelling experience. So it's a combination of those things. Okay, I can see I can see that being an important part. You know, like as we know that um, biggest one of the biggest challenges of you know high school or like middle school education is also how do you keep your students engaged? Um, how do you explain stuff that's abstract that's hard to explain? Cool. So I guess my next question would be: You're building all this, and you know, um, it's not easy. What would you say is your biggest challenge that you have kind of like to overcome to make this um, the success you wanted to be? Yeah, um, let's see. I think making an making the app be flexible enough that teachers can hold their own style of lesson in here but still being easy enough to use. Um, well, I, currently, I'm the only person teaching classes in here, and it, and it works well for me because I built the thing, so I know all of its you know, ins and outs. Um, and I was able to you know, add in things that I wanted for the classes I'm teaching. Um, but as I start expanding to working with other teachers, um, I think that's definitely going to be a challenge. There's, there's one teacher who hasn't started teaching in it yet, but who I'm talking to about you know, what he would like to see in here. And... Uh, and and it's easy enough to add in the, the features that he requests, but um, particularly when they're aligned with features I was that were on my roadmap anyway. Um, but making sure that the app is easy enough for him to use um, it is, yeah, it's definitely like I think the biggest challenge because uh, yeah, obviously the, for this to have a big impact, it needs to scale beyond just me as a teacher. So onboarding new teachers in a way that the app is useful enough for them, uh, or sorry, simple enough to use and still gives them the power that they want. Yeah, definitely. Although those, this is more like a technical challenge, right? Yeah. So I'll be more interested in um, kind of like what kind of market size challenges do you see? Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Give me one second. I actually need to plug in my headset here. I'm getting a low battery warning. Sure. You can see, guys, we're still in the early days of VR. Um, but we're getting there. So let's give Bill a moment to plug in his headset. Hmm. Oculus Quest. All right. I have power now. Great. So, uh, yeah, you were asking about the market challenges? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I think... So... In the short term, the size of the homeschool market, um, well, I guess that's more of a medium-term problem. I don't think there's too many challenges really in the short term um, besides scaling to other teachers because there there are a lot of homeschool families and having access to a quality physics course where they can, or math courses where they can, where a student can both enjoy the class and like complete like a serious curriculum. Um, there's definitely a need for that, and there's definitely a lot of users who want that right now. 
Um, so I don't anticipate there being too many market challenges in the shorter term because the, yeah, like I said, the homeschool market is definitely in need of this. Um, but uh, beyond the homeschool market, I think there's going to, uh, that there will be a challenge to expand beyond that because students now who go to physical schools are already getting all of their courses there. And so to come home after school and take more courses would be like fairly strenuous on them. Like, like a lot of parents might think that that's um, like too much time spent learning and not enough time with um, like liberty to study what they want. Um, so I think for this to reach more students outside of the homeschool industry, um, there needs to be a bit of a like shift in, in how in-school classes are held. Um, these aren't my original ideas. There's various people who've been talking about this for a little while now, but um, I think it's likely that there'll be physical schools that that um, if they either if they don't offer a physics class or if the um, or if like they want to improve the quality of the physics class, that they can have students go into VR headsets at, while while in school and take a course that's part of their school, but take it online um, and with live lessons from an instructor who's remote. So I think that sort of shift in schools, that's going to be like a bit of a challenge to see how that evolves over time. But again, since there's a need there, there's lots of schools who want physics programs who don't have it. Um, it'll just be a matter of figuring out how to work with those schools. Since uh, a big complicated business operation like that with schools can take a long time to orchestrate. So that'll be definitely a challenge in the longer term. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a really cool idea, working with schools who otherwise can't afford or like don't have like a good physics or science class. Um, give, give them affordable but high quality option. So um, what if I'm a teacher in a normal like traditional classroom? Can I also use Curie or is, is it not designed for that specific use case in mind? Yeah, absolutely. So, so I would definitely like to support that. Um, I think the probably the same challenge I mentioned er earlier about um, onboarding new teachers is something that's a concern there. Um, just because it, it, it does take a while to learn how to use any any piece of new software for teachers, and teachers already have very busy schedules. So if there's a teacher who's you know has their class set up such that they have time to learn both how to use this application and how to um, like you know manage a classroom of students using VR, um, which there definitely are some parent uh, some teachers in that situation, then I would definitely like to support them using the app, um, and uh, and I think that would be yeah that would definitely be great for teachers to be able to do certain types of simulations that either that they couldn't do in real life, like you mentioned, because of having zero gravity or various other things, or simulations that uh, like you could do in real life, but the school either doesn't have the equipment for it um, or would take too long to set up or be too dangerous for students to do. So for any of those use cases, I think um, teachers using it uh, in their existing classrooms would make a lot of sense. Um, and uh, I think at the moment that, that would be a little hard to support since the app is still in development. Um, but once the app gets to a more mature point where it's a little easier to use and, and is more fully featured, um, then I would definitely like to communicate to teachers that it's available. Uh, makes sense. Makes sense to me. Um, yeah. All right. Let's see. So we've talked a little bit about um, more the technical side and, you know, like the immediate and midterm strategies that are important and, you know, where virtual reality is today. I um, want to switch the conversation now a little bit to kind of like the future. Um, you know, I think it's always interesting to talk about how we are will impact education and society in like, a, let's say, 10 years or 20 years time. Um, so, you know, let me ask you, mm -hmm. what are your thoughts on this topic? Yeah. Do you think 
we are really super important in education or in general yeah. how will VR enable schools look like? Yeah. K through twelve. K through twelve specifically. Right. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. I think that there are some things that that work better digital and online and there are many other things that work better without any technology and in person um, and so I think that regardless of whether students are in a physical school or being homeschooled that the that education for both both those types of students will look similar in, in that they will have many hours spent during the day with like very little technology and in-person interactions um, whether that's interactions in the playground playing sports or certain subjects that they're learning in classrooms. Um, but I think there'll be more of a shift towards uh, certain core academic subjects and extracurriculars being conducted in uh, digital spaces, um, just because of the like affordances that are provided from uh, both VR and, and the um, ability to hold live classes online. So I really think it'll be a mix of the two. Um, and kids in school will, will you know, go to one class in the morning. It'll be a language class, for example, and they'll be doing it live and in person and talking with their classmates and with their teacher. And then they'll go next door for their uh, math class. And for that class, they might be doing geometry that day. And then they'll be in VR headsets for 30 minutes while they're interacting with you know, geometric simulations to learn about certain concepts. And then they'll stop for a lunch break. And then after that, they'll go to a physics class, which could also be in VR potentially for half the class where they're interacting with certain simulations and then they pull off the headsets and then they do a live real life physics simulation to complement that. So I, I really think kind of that kind of blended style um, is going to be something that both in school students and homeschool students are doing more and more. Um, but I think one important common thing between both of those is going to be um, like the human interaction um, and having live classes um, because the ability to when you don't understand something, communicate that to other students or to a teacher and then get help in understanding it, as well as just the skills of figuring things out in teams is something that um, is so important in education and can both be done um, live as well as online. So I think that's, yeah, really what kind of the combination of things will look like for education down the road. Yeah, and as far as whether that's in VR or AR, that just depends on where the tech goes. But I think, you know, both will probably be happening in a big way. So you're saying in the future there will still be school activities that are better taught in real life than in VR? Yeah. So for the yeah, if you're sitting together looking at the same screen, you can talk about things together, but uh and you can switch back and forth between doing things. So for some things if you're if you're doing like pair programming for example, where one person is writing code and the other person is looking things up and consulting you. Then perhaps that is that, that perhaps that particular educational um, like interaction would be best done um, side by side on a screen, or something like a physics lab where you're setting up things and collecting data and stuff like that. That that would take place better where students can be providing inputs at the same time. Someone can take out a ruler and set it up, and someone can hold up a tennis ball. Um, and so for an interaction like that where people are interacting simultaneously, um, that's like clearly better done um, in a way where both people can provide input, which means that it's a multi-user thing. And then if it's a hands-on spatial thing, then that would be better done in VR. So, um, so yeah, those are perhaps just two examples where, yeah, it might be better on desktop or, or certain things would be better and done in VR. Okay, I hear you. But let's say in the future, VR gets as good as reality. Let's say it's indistinguishable, you know, 
um, you know, as Pamelaki says, that, that he thinks that VR is the medium that will end all media, meaning that every media that has existed before VR, you can kind of like simulate in VR. So why do I need a kind of like a big ass TV if I can just have that in VR? Um, you know, you know what I mean? So um, how in, in that sense wouldn't just make sense that we can say, okay, it all happens in VR and we don't need screens. We don't need um, to, s because we can just sit next to each other in, in a virtual room while we're physically in a different location and have the exact, exact same experience as we would have in a, in a real classroom together. So, I mean, how, how do you, let's say if that happens, how will that change school and I don't know, society maybe even, <laughs> what are your thoughts on this? Yeah. So I guess, yeah, on the, on the longer term horizon, if the two technologies were, you know, you know VR headsets or desktop monitors, then, then like, yeah, as you've said, once desktop monitors get to the point where they can um, have the same pixel density as, you know, for a monitor that's in front of you, um, that it's the same experience as a monitor, but just with uh, options to do more things. And if the network's, networking is good enough that you can sit next to another person and clearly see their monitor, um, then yeah, there, there doesn't seem to be much reason to have monitors. Um, I would be curious to know on that on that time horizon. I, I don't know much about the rate that pixel density on headsets is increasing, but uh, I, I, would, I am curious to see how other technologies increase in parallel with that. Obviously, brain-machine interfaces are very far behind right now, but if uh, some type of VR device that is more connected directly into your brain were to arrive, you know, in this in this century, and that could pretty quickly replace um, what we call now to be VR headsets. Yeah, I mean, I mean, brain machine interfaces are super, super interesting, right? Um, basically, what I think will happen is, you know, once we have the working brain machine interfaces, then you don't need the VR headsets anymore. So for me, it's like, maybe a little bit next step. Um, because you don't need to deal, you don't need to deal with the photons anymore. We can just yeah. put it directly into into the brain, right? Um, but you know, realistically, that's that's a harder technology than making really good VR headsets. So I think in the next yeah. decade or two, we'll we'll see more just super super great VR headsets, right. and then and then slowly, maybe I don't know, fifty to hundred years super effective and small and easy to in you know kind of like install um in air quotes um brain machine interfaces that will kind of like i don't know once you're there then everything will be <laughs> crazy um but i'm super curious to see how how this will all all play out and i mean it's an interesting time to be to be alive honestly yeah absolutely one thing that uh I that uh, you and I have discussed before, which I think is a interesting conversation, is um, the benefits of creating um, multi-user VR content now for for uh, for education purposes, versus making um ma making single-user content. Um, yeah, you know, we were just discussing the longer-term horizon, and um, I think both of you and I share a vision that in the long term, like having fantastic multi-user experiences for education is going to make a lot of sense. Um, but one, one thing that I haven't mentioned yet is that I, I do think that it might make even more sense in the shorter term to be working on uh, single user simulations because the complexities, particularly in physical classrooms of getting students into a shared VR app is, is quite high. 
Um, and if you, you know, if most of your lesson is taking place in the real world and then you have a 10 minute section in VR, trying to connect a bunch of six off headsets together with network software in the classroom and get all the students in the same room for a brief demo is pretty challenging. So um, like, I, I, I do think there's a good like opportunity right now for creating uh, single user content to, in order to um, like meet the needs of classrooms that, 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 uh, that already have headsets. Um, so I know that's, a, yeah, that's something that you've thought about a lot as well. Yeah, exactly. I think we have, um, you know, we've discussed about this many times. And I, for those who don't know, when we started with the Cosmos School, we, similar to what Phil's doing now, we're doing life science classes. So we had a teacher and students would just come in, meet with the teacher and then learn about different topics. Um, in fact, we're also teaching physics, but it was a little bit different than what what you have here. Yours is maybe more academic. Ours was more, sure. I would say, extracurricular or for fun. So, you know, students would like to build a rocket ship and use it to to fly to the International Space Station, but they wouldn't, you know, sure. would, would talk about like the rocket formula and and like how rocket fuel is made, but we wouldn't kind of like go into the details or like we wouldn't graph the rocket formula or something. So it's kind of like a different, kind of, I want to say different target group or use case. Um, but, you know, for us, it didn't work out that well. And based um, on our learnings, we said um, it's just too complex. Right kind of like, you know, you have to create the software, um, creating network software is more complicated than doing single player software. And then you have to find, yeah. have the teachers, you have to create the pedagogy, you have to create the simulations. Um, you have to find students that do have time at the specific times after school. You have to make sure that they have VR headsets. <laughs> so, and, and then of course you have to convince them to pay, to pay money for that. So. You know, for us, we're like, okay, this is probably too much for the still early days of VR, and we want to kind of like dial back and go back to the basics and say, right. okay, we're just now creating simulations that can be used super yeah. simply in the classroom by the teacher as kind of like an additional material to their content that, that they're already teaching in their science classes, um, just to improve engagement and improve kind of like efficiency yeah. of the material for the students and for the teacher. But yeah, we'll see yeah, how that goes. Absolutely. Basically. <laughs> but I, I do like the with the approach you're taking that it is that it does scale rather easily. So you've made the simulation that is self-contained with the like educational information built into it, that a student who can just pick that up can learn on their own. Um, and that's I think that that sort of like um like improved version of a textbook style education where you can be self-directed. Like there's there's absolutely a huge need for that. Because um, unfortunately, this app right now, if I put a student in this, they might have some fun in here throwing springs around, but they would learn nothing on their own. Um, they might get a rough feel for some concepts, but they wouldn't they wouldn't really get any important takeaways. Because um, like I said, this is more like a Zoom call where you, you need to have an educator on it to, to communicate the information to students and guide them through experiences. So um, I, I, you know, had some, you know, I obviously throughout my education had some great lectures in my life and great interactions with teachers and labs, but I also did learn a ton in college just from reading my textbook. Um, so ha having like like a like really solid single user experiences where students can, without much money and without help from another person, just guide themselves. Um, like that's like awesome, and I think we need a lot more of that in the world. Yeah, definitely. 
um yeah but like again i think there are like different approaches um to kind of like push vr and education and i really believe that um, you know there is a place for like in each of these spaces different companies will be built um and mm -hmm. i just think that not like any effort done by people um isn't is a step forward to kind of like push education uh push vr make it go mainstream right right and yeah so <laughs> it's just so exciting exciting times and it's hard to predict what will exactly happen anyways um phil thanks for your time um let's wrap this up um uh, thanks for being on the podcast i think it was a lot of fun thanks for hosting me in your app curie and um yeah i really liked it <laughs> yeah i really enjoyed this conversation for sure the last question for me yeah i guess uh one last question would be um uh for both of us i guess is uh what uh what other stuff like you and i have both been teaching science in here but what other subjects would you really like to see taught in vr obviously like you talked about in the long term like the, the sky's the limit there's nothing you couldn't do um but uh yeah what, what would you be most excited to see in here apart from science classes hmm that is a good question let's see um maybe and yeah what about engineering i mean okay that's like similar to science but i think you could like still do cool stuff no yeah yeah that would be though get to see the stress and strain and different things build little models <laughs> yeah would be would be cool but other than that maybe um hmm. mm. like what about art you know like you can like art stuff you can like do new forms of art like sculpturing, sculpturing yeah. or painting, stuff like Quill or Medium already does. Um, yeah, mm -hmm. but like I guess another cool thing would be acting. Right. You know that like the new Lion King movie that just came out. They filmed that completely in in VR. Did you know that? Oh right. Yeah, I heard they filmed that. In v yeah, just a little bit. I heard they they yeah they used uh, VR headsets to position the cameras and whatnot. Yeah, it's like crazy. It's like the whole world that they filmed in only exists in mm. VR and you know basically everything was in there and um, yeah they they somehow used like real cameras oh. also to, to position or move the cameras but like um, it, it's all done in VR so none of the landscape or whatever yeah. exists I think except like one shot or something um, but it's crazy so anyways like think about um, you know having like an app where you can invite right. your friends over with like a like let's say we mm -hmm. had like one or two friends over here in this room and someone has the lights someone has a camera and um, we just kind of like film a movie you know it could be like an action movie like a comedy movie so mm -hmm. and like with like a budget that's you know super super small and you still have right. like all the cool you know explosion effects or like uh, yeah uh, have the kind of the landscape that you want in the background mm -hmm. would be super fun yeah yeah so i think acting um i would definitely kind of like you know try that out and i think right yeah, yeah. a lot of people would that'd be awesome for people interested in acting or directing or anything like that yeah. you definitely have a good uh yeah that'd be great it would be awesome sure. um was what do you think should be auto science would be taught in vr yeah um good question yeah <laughs> what's well, your question <laughs> I'm complimenting myself here. Um, I think 
uh, history classes is one that I would love. That, that, that one's, uh, you need to spend a lot more on your art budget to do that well. But if you were to have, you know, really cool Egyptian scenes or ancient Roman scenes, and uh, you could have students learn about, you know, the history of the Egyptians or Romans in, in that context, I think that would be, that would be very cool. Um, the, the one thing I think that just occurred to me now that, well, I've experienced before that you need to be um, somewhat careful with, with certain educational things is, is not showing students too much, such that they don't practice imagining things as well. Um, that's something I've been trying to do a little bit in here. Before I run a simulation, I'll ask the students to picture what it's going to do. So they'll try to picture the rockets flying up on their own. And then once I've given them some time to do that, then I'll run the simulation. Um, I think that would be important for history things as well, to have students, you know, teacher can describe what the Colosseum was like, and they can try to picture it, and then they can take them to it and visit it. Um, because, uh, because, yeah, you don't want to, like, stifle students' practice at imagining things by just showing them too much. Um, but at the same time, obviously, in, you know, history classes, when they teach about the Egyptians, they'll show slide decks with pictures or artist illustrations still. Um, so I definitely think there's a place for that, and that could be enhanced to a huge degree by, by putting it into VR. Um, so that would be, be awesome. I've done just a couple of little tours. There was an educational experience on, um, I think it was called Nefart, Nefari, Nefari, is that the right name? Some Egyptian, uh, like, queen. Um, it was a tour of her tomb, and there was a live, it was a live experience. It was me and a couple of people, and then a guide who was an expert on Egyptian, um, like, uh, archaeology. And, uh, and that, that was just like a free experience on, uh, I think that was on, um, I forget what, what app that was. But, uh, but yeah. So, yeah, more things like that in the classroom would be awesome. They get to go on, like, historical field trips. I'd love to see that as well. But, yeah, all these things. I love your idea on the acting. That'd be great. Get practice at directing and acting in an app. That'd be, be really cool to see. There's a lot of potential for VR, clearly. Yeah, I mean, like, history, I think, is also pretty cool. Like, uh, you could have, like, right. like, you could be, like, in the medieval times. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. you're, like, a peasant or something that only eats like rice and, and bread the whole day and <laughs> there's the kings and you can really see how it how it was you know life back there really feel, feel mm. and it'd be pr pretty right pretty impressive i guess and pretty remarkable to see right uh-huh yeah if you had to you had to see by candlelight and stuff like that yeah. it was always really dark inside <laughs> back in medieval ages that's something that you don't think about a lot unless you're there yeah, yeah that'd be cool to see be <laughs> it'd be great yeah so um yeah well you know i just um i think it was great that you showed what you're working on and i want to thank you for uh taking time out of your busy <laughs> life and um sharing it with us and you know as i said this was like the first um rec video um i did on the podcast and first yeah. video in vr also so um let's see how this works out um thanks for being the skinny pig <laughs> and um, yeah you know sure. uh yeah I, if it works out well i can do do more of those um of those things and then and then see how this works out anyways um thank you for so much phil for being on the show <laughs> yeah thanks for having me john this was fun <laughs>